Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Well, good morning, church family. Let's open in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, the title of today's sermon is The Forerunner's Faltering Faith. The Forerunner's Faltering Faith. Matthew chapter 11. Now, there's this man in the Bible who was prophesied about who would be the forerunner to the coming Messiah. His name was John the Baptist. And especially at Christmas time, we often hear and think about this man, John the Baptist. This was the one, if you recall, when he was in his mother Elizabeth's womb, when she got in close proximity to the pregnant Mary, he leapt for joy in his mother's womb when he met Jesus for the first time. Certainly a hero Uh, in the faith. But truth be known, John the Baptist was a little bit on the hide side. He was a little bit different. He was distinct from those around him. In fact, John the Baptist was a man that most would like to admire from a distance rather than being in close proximity to him. One of my favorite shows on TV is called Mountain Men. These are men who live out in the wilderness, have rough, scraggly kind of beards, live off the land, manly men, mountain men. In a way, John the Baptist wasn't a mountain man, but he was a wilderness man. The scriptures say that John the Baptist wore camel's hair clothing and leather. He had a diet that consisted of grasshoppers and honey. See what I mean? He was a little bit different. However, uh, more than his unique appearance was his method of preaching. John the Baptist preached with incredible authority. He preached in such a way that it made those around him sort of cringe. You could be sure that if you were not living for the Lord, If you were not following the teachings of the Lord, a man like John the Baptist would come along and he would call you out. He wouldn't let you live like that. He preached with this incredible boldness. In fact, we'll see today that ultimately this bold preaching is what led to John the Baptist's death. And another way, John the Baptist was the final prophet before Christ. Remember, as the Old Testament closes in Malachi, the people of God are waiting for the Messiah to come. And yet they know from these prophecies, especially in Isaiah, that one will come who will prepare the way of the Lord. He will come as one crying out in the wilderness with the spirit of Elijah This was John the Baptist. He came with that spirit from the wilderness, calling people to prepare their lives, to prepare 
for the way of the Lord. And yet John's preaching was simple and clear. It was this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John came preaching a message of repentance, and we could spend a number of Sundays going through what this entails, this necessary element to our salvation called repentance, this necessary element to our sanctification called repentance. But it was the fact that John believed and knew that the kingdom of God was here. The Messiah was here, so he was calling the people to repentance. Look, he was saying, the time for repentance is now. Jesus, the Messiah, the kingdom has come. And the account that we're gonna read from Matthew 11 today of John the Baptist's life may not be a familiar one to some of us because it's one that doesn't put John the Baptist in the best light. We see him struggling, but this is very important because here's the truth we'll see from God's word today. There are no perfect people. Even the ones who are held up in scriptures as heroes of the faith are themselves flawed are themselves weak by nature, but in spite of their flaws and weaknesses, they're not pushed to the sidelines by Jesus. They're not condemned by Jesus, but he comes and embraces them and encourages them. And the Bible gives us that type of encouragement this morning as well, that we too can persevere in spite of our weak flesh, because of these heroes of the faith. Let's read our text, Matthew chapter 11. We're gonna read verses two through 15 for context. We're really gonna focus on two through six this morning. Matthew eleven two. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who has come or should we look for another? Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. The violent take it by force. 
For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The forerunner's faltering faith. At this point in the text and the account of John the Baptist's life, here's the situation. The Roman ruler Herod had total power. He goes to visit his brother. He decides that his brother's wife, his sister-in-law, should leave his brother and be his wife. So he takes his brother's wife, his sister-in-law, and begins a family with her. Now John the Baptist, being the kind of bold preacher that he was, saw this wrong and approached Herod and preached publicly against Herod's decision to do such a thing. And as a result of that condemnation, Herod throws John into jail in order to silence him. However, the sister-in-law, now wife to Herod, wanted to silence John the Baptist for good. She used her daughter to coerce Herod into beheading John the Baptist, which he ultimately did. By all accounts that we have in the scripture, John the Baptist never left this prison alive. So this is what we see. Here's where we are in the text. At this point, John the Baptist has been a prisoner for a number of months under the rule of Herod. And we find this great man at a low point in his faith. This once free and nomadic preacher from the desert is now a prisoner living in a cage. His authoritative preaching voice has been silenced. And this man of incredible integrity has suffered injustice at the hands of Herod. Put simply, John the Baptist had developed a prison type of mood. It was bleak. Although it was once clear to him was so powerful that it led him to preach publicly and prepare this way. Now his situation was so dire. And Jesus had done nothing to save him that John was longing for assurance. So we see in verse two, he asks a question. He sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? You see the faltering faith? At this point, John's faith is weak. His heart is disappointed. Things had not played out as John had expected that they would. It was it's clear here that John felt that the Lord had in some sense left him to be on his own and had turned his back on John. I'm sure John recalled the moment where he was in the Jordan River baptizing Jesus. And as he sits in this prison cell, he must think, where is Jesus now? What is going on? I preached these things and yet here I sit. Look, the fact that the scriptures contain this account probably makes every public relations person cringe. 
right? This is not a clip that we should see of John the Baptist's life. But the scripture was not written by PR representatives. It was written by God. And he knows us. And he knows that we too in this life will likely face disappointment. We will likely face situations where it doesn't go how we think it would go. It doesn't happen how we thought it would happen, even in terms of our faith. Maybe somebody here today is in the middle of that situation right now. Maybe you know the Lord. Maybe you love the Lord. Maybe you have sought to live your life in obedience and faithfulness to the Lord, but it's hard for you to understand his ways. Maybe you've asked for a mate, and yet you're still single. Maybe you've begged God for a child, and you remain barren. Maybe you've asked God for healing, physical healing, and you or someone you love is still in pain or with disease. Maybe you need a job, but those resumes go unanswered. Maybe you've asked to be delivered from a sort of toxic work environment where everyone is hostile toward the things of God, and yet you've been left there. God has not delivered you from that. Maybe you need healing in your marriage, but the struggle continues. Maybe someone here this morning is dealing with disappointment. And look, sometimes at this season, in this season of Christmas, those who are disappointed, man, it becomes that much harder. We sing about joy to the world. We sing about all these uplifting songs of Christmas time. And for those who are struggling with disappointment, they can be pushed even further into that. But God's word is not silent on these things. Jesus loves us and cares for us, but just like John the Baptist, our faith falters at times as well. I think here's why John the Baptist asked this question. He had unmet personal expectations. And we don't know this for sure, but it was likely that one of the reasons that John the Baptist spoke and preached so boldly against Herod. Look, John the Baptist probably knew for certain that if I preach against the Roman ruler, he will throw me into prison. That's what happens. No one speaks out against the Roman ruler, right? And yet, John the Baptist probably thought, since Jesus is here, if Herod throws me into prison, Jesus will come along and set us free. That's what the Messiah would do after all. He would release the captives. He would set free those who were under oppression. And so John the Baptist thought that this may have been the case for him. The Bible doesn't explicitly say this. But if you and I think that this is the situation for us, it leads us into despair as well. If you and I think that spiritual devotion to God obligates him to fulfill our personal expectations, we are dead wrong. Jesus does not owe us anything. It is not as if we are a hired worker of Jesus that is due some sort of 
compensation. No, like we heard from our verse-by-verse study of Luke a few weeks ago. Look, a servant who serves his master isn't do anything in return. It's simply service. And maybe one piece of our faltering faith, the puzzle to unlocking that is that we need to be constantly reminded that although we know better, we should not expect personal favors by God. He is our master. And even if we did everything commanded, we would still be owed nothing. That's one of the reasons John's faith faltered, but he also had a sort of unmet theological expectation. Flip back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, of course, this is earlier in John the Baptist's life when we see him preaching this message with boldness, talking about the coming, the Messiah who had come. Matthew chapter 3, let's read 10 through 12. These are the words of John the Baptist speaking of the Messiah. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now look at this, verse 12. His winnowing fork is at hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is what John is saying the Messiah would do. John is proclaiming that these passages say that the Messiah is going to judge. He is going to set things straight. He is going to bring judgment. He is going to judge iniquity. He is going to spare the remnant. He will cleanse Israel. He will rain down unquenchable fire on the wicked. And as John has been proclaiming this in his teaching, he hears of Christ's preaching and his deeds while he's there in prison. And even though he's encouraged, he's also perplexed because John is unjustly in prison. And John also knows that Isaiah said that when the Messiah comes, he would proclaim release to the captives. But the reports that John is receiving from prison are that Jesus is not judging. He's acting with mercy. The Messiah doesn't have the winnowing fork in his hand. Instead, he's healing and he's having compassion and he's doing miracles. And rather than adjusting his expectations, John began to question. And look, on this side of the story for us, we know that John's expectations were not wrong. They were just incomplete. Look, as Matt reminded us earlier, there is coming a day, brothers and sisters, when Jesus returns and he will no longer be the one who is bringing mercy and grace. He will come to judge. 
His winnowing fork will be in his hand. He will be gathering the chaff to burn with unquenchable fire. Look, John the Baptist was not wrong. His prophecy, his explanation of who Christ was, was accurate. It was just incomplete. In the same way, our faith falters at times, maybe not because we have bad theology, but because our finite minds cannot grasp all that God is doing. And this is why we need to receive this encouragement today. Look at how John the Baptist responds when his faith is faltering. He sends his question to Christ. He doesn't take up a pity party in the middle of the jail cell. He sends his disciples straight to Christ. Go find out what the deal is. Is he the one? And then in the gracious, loving kindness of our Savior, Jesus responds. Look in verse 4. Jesus answered John's disciples, go and tell John what you hear and see. Wow. I mean, if that was... If that was us, we'd probably say, John, grow up. You just don't understand. You're foolish. Your faith is still immature. You just can't see the whole picture. Get it together. Trust. That's not how Jesus responds. He says, go and encourage John by telling him what you see. What an incredible, compassionate Savior. Of course, we read earlier, Jesus goes on to say that up until this point in human history, no person had ever been born that was greater than John the Baptist. The one that's questioning, the one that's faltering, the one that's in the midst of disappointed is still referred to by Christ as the greatest born of woman to this point in human history. Jesus responds with tenderness and with compassion. And Jesus knows John the Baptist, knows the scriptures. So he says, go and tell John what you hear and see. Here's what's happening. The blind receive their sight, fulfillment of prophecy. The lame are walking, fulfillment of prophecy. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, Fulfillment of prophecy. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Look, Jesus answers John the Baptist with the affirmative. Yes, I am the one who was prophesied about. You can trust me. You can believe. Your faith can be restored. I am fulfilling all the promises and prophecies of God. And yet, even in that time, Jesus doesn't deliver John the Baptist from prison. He encourages him. He answers his question. He seeks to restore John the Baptist's faith, but Jesus leaves him in prison. Brothers and sisters, Jesus cares about our disappointments. He loves us. He's tender with us. He's compassionate towards us. But here's the tension. Jesus will not reshape his divine agenda to meet our expectations. He will not do that for us. 
In fact, he did not even do that for himself. Do you remember at, toward the end of Jesus' life, he is in the garden of Gethsemane praying. And he calls out to the Father and says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus refused to compromise his own mission to limit his agony. He didn't do it for John, and he may not do it for us, but there's still incredible purpose. It teaches us to trust the Lord. It teaches us to pursue the Lord. It teaches us to rest on his promises and his goodness. I think a point that illustrates this well is there's an app on um, our phones. It's the Waze app, W-A-Z-E. And if you're stuck in traffic, this Waze app will recalculate, will take into account traffic, construction, all of those things, and it will give you a better route uh, to getting to your destination. But here's the problem I have with Waze. I don't trust it. I think I know better than Waze. Look, my destination is that way, not this way. Look, here's what happens often. If you trust it, it gets you to the right point. It puts you out right beside your destination faster than you could have ever gone there in the first place. And this is the situation with us. God is always guiding us. He's not always giving us the full picture of what's happening. He's not always giving us all the information. He's given us a step-by-step -step plan for trusting in him and resting in him. And that's where we can be faithful. Not to pursue answers to questions that he doesn't answer, but to pursue faithfulness and following him in every way to truly seek God instead of seeking our answers. This is where the word of God is so good. Trusting in his promises, having faith in his word, living for him, submitting to his truths, making sure that the B-I-B-L-E is the book for us. This is the only remedy for spiritual discouragement. To know this, to believe this, to trust in this, even in the midst of a life where things are not going how we thought that they would, the message from Jesus for us this morning is this, trust me, believe in me, have faith in me. Verse six, Jesus pronounces a blessing. Jesus says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We know one of the ways Jesus taught was through this pronouncement of blessings. You may think back in to like Matthew chapter five where we have the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed is the one who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And yet here we have another blessing of Jesus. Jesus says, the one who is blessed is the one who is not offended by me. A couple weeks ago, Brother Keith taught from, uh, from Luke 17, 
about when Jesus taught about the danger of tripping up or stumbling or offending one of his followers that would lead them into sin. Remember, it's the one that says that person is uh, to be um, tied up with the millstone and thrown out. And this word here, offended by Jesus, is the same Greek word. It's scandalon. It's that picture of a trap. Now, what is Jesus saying? Blessed is the one who is not tripped up by me, that is stumbled like me. Look, here, Jesus acknowledges that the way he conducts his business could be a source of stumbling for us. That sometimes we can be tripped up by Jesus because Jesus cuts across our idea of what religion should be, of what faith should be. So our our response should be to live contingently, not allowing our expectations to cause us to trip over how the Lord conducts his business. Because the blessing of the unoffended is only experienced by those who trust that the Lord has everything under control. Brothers and sisters, do you trust him? You may be going through a season right now where you are facing incredible disappointment. The expectations for your life have not gone how you thought they would go. Reality has sort of set in. And maybe you find yourself sort of like John the Baptist. That's caused your faith to falter. It's caused you to stumble. You can trust the Lord in this age Even the greatest, strongest saints experience deep darkness. None of us are spared sorrow. Most of us suffer agonizing affliction at some point or another. Most of us will experience seasons of life when we feel that we've been abandoned. Look, some, maybe most of us, will die hard deaths and yet the Savior savior hears our pleas for help and is patient with us, even in our doubts. He doesn't condemn us. He loves us. He does not always answer with the speed that we desire, nor is his answer always the deliverance that we hope for, but he will always send the help that is needed. Maybe the help for you today is the word of God. Trust him. Let's close with this. Heard the story of this first time flyer. This lady who was on an airplane for the first time. And if you've ever flown, you've probably experienced some of those flights where there's a lot of turbulence. I mean, the entire flight, the plane is rocking and jumping and things are sort of shuffling around through the turbulence. And yet she looks to her left And there's this nine or 10-year-old boy, and he's totally calm, as if nothing's happening. He's reading his book as everybody else in the plane is sort of looking around, looking toward the flight attendants for some reassurance that everything's okay. He's writing his book as if nothing's going on. Well, by God's grace, the plane's on the ground. They get to the gate as they're getting off. They're filing out. The little boy's in front of her. 
As the little boy approaches the front of the plane, the pilot's door opens and he embraces the pilot. And he says, Dad, I knew you were flying the plane. I knew you knew I was on this plane and that nothing, you would not allow anything to happen to me. Brothers and sisters, here's the truth. We can either live in life like the lady or we can live in life like the little boy who trusts that our God is sovereign and is good and is in total control despite our disappointments. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have a glimpse into the life of John the Baptist. Lord, to know that if a man of God like this could struggle, that we too will likely struggle. And yet, Lord, you do not push us away. You encourage us to deeper levels of trust and love and pursuit of who you are. And God, I would pray for one who would be here this morning, a brother or sister in Christ who loves you and who is serving you and who has tried to be faithful in their life, to live according to your word. And they find themselves in the midst, in the midst of discouragement. God, may your word and may your spirit bring them new life today. May you re-energize their faith that it would not falter, but that it would even be strengthened in the midst of this disappointment. And Lord, I would also pray for one who would be here today who may not know you. Or maybe there's a person here today and they have never really understood what Jesus' coming was all about. That Jesus came to die. Christmas happened so that Jesus could go to the cross, that he could appease your wrath, that he could fulfill the, the sin uh, debt, the, the payment for the sin debt that, that we couldn't pay, and that anybody who would place their faith and trust in Christ alone could be saved and redeemed. And so Lord, I pray there be somebody here today that doesn't know that they've never trusted in Christ for their salvation, that today would truly be the day that they're born again. Lord, as we stand and sing, would you move in our hearts? Would you cause us to continue to dwell uh, on the things that we've heard from your word this morning? It's in Christ and we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.